Did they mute their phone? Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 42 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth Coster and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam Coster and I do web-related things. I'm Sam Coster and I make art. And today is March 8th. 2016. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be lewdness and profanity and zingers. Oh my, so many zingers. It's going to get zinged right in the mouth. So if you're a child or a youngster or or a young adult. Or if you're allergic to zingers. Yeah. uh, Then get out of here. Don't listen. Go away. We warned you. Okay, so uh, as part of our new format for the podcast, we are switching over to full-time, 100% question-taking. So, uh, Sam, why don't we just jump right into questions? Let's hop right into it. Thanks wait for a, the no, passive. Wait a second. Hold on. No, Should we, shouldn't we tell people how to ask questions? And- yes. These questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. So head on over there and ask away. And every week we have a new set of questions. So uh, this week's round of questions will be wiped out as soon as we're done recording and it'll start fresh. So uh, so get your questions in there and you can help shape the podcast. Like a sculptor. Like a sculptor. All right. So the first question begins. Uh, we've got a lot of newcomers. I'm going to be honest. This new system seems like it's bringing a lot of, a lot of fresh blood. A lot of fresh question. Blood. A lot of fresh, bushy-eyed, bushy-tail faces. Yeah. So uh, the first question comes from Tiz, who asks, As indie game devs, I assume you play other indie games yourself. So my question is, how many games do you have in your Steam library? And what's your favorite? Is this mm. probably restricted to Steam or to indie games then? I have a mountain of games in my Steam library. As do I. Like we've been on Steam since what two thousand? When did it come out? I've been on Steam since it came out. Two thousand four. Steam appeared with the release of Half Life Two as a patching program. Yep. Mm -hmm. And everybody was pissed about it. And now look what happened. I guess everybody's pissed about everything. I don't remember people being pissed about it though. What was the What was the beef? They were mad that they had to connect to the internet in order to get Half Life Two running. It was It was one of those kinds of things. Uh, Yeah. My My personal favorite is Kerbal Space Program which is totally an indie game uh, in the sense that they didn't have a publisher. So, you know, they just, it was actually a marketing company that made Kerbal Space Program as a fun side project. And then it turned into the best game ever made. So, <laughs> yeah, you know? I would, I would agree. That's definitely one of the best indie games, period. Um, and on Steam. So that's, I, I would say that's probably one of my favorite indies as well. What else is even, which is funny because I haven't actually played it. You guys keep telling me to play it for the past two years. I've been like, nah, nope, nobody, nope. Not doing yeah, it. Sam well, is I mean, very it's, resilient. It's your, it's your loss, so like, I don't actually <laughs> care that you're not that you're not playing. Well, my, you should uh, care out of uh, you know empathy and stuff. I mean, I try to, but you can only you can you can lead a horse to water, but you can't but make him play Kerbal Space. Program. You can't make him play, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, he's at a pond. His his hooves get in the way of the keyboard and stuff. <laughs> I would say, I'm trying to think. Yeah, what else? Is, I mean, there's so many indie games now. I think I have over like 200 games in my Steam library. That's over basically 12 years of buying stuff. And the vast, vast majority of it being bought on sale or games are less than 10 bucks. Um, so games have been sort of, you know, it's been my go-to hobby. My go-to hobby for quite a while. Yeah. But I think my favorite, just among my favorite sort of indie devs in, in general, um, Ed McMillan, I, I mean, you can see it in the artwork, but he was, Super Meat Boy was actually the reason why I started uh, really wanting to get into games, weirdly enough. 
Um, it wasn't like a childhood thing. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I used to sit around with my brothers playing on an Atari, and we've been making games for like 50, 40 years or whatever. Um, we did not have an Atari. We didn't even have, yeah, we didn't have much uh, in the video game side growing up, so it actually happened for me my, my junior year of college, which I think was when Super Meat Boy came out, and I remember I played it. I played the crap out of it just straight through. In it was like I'd get home from from school, I'd get my studying done, and then just the rest of the night would be Super Meat Boy for like ten days straight until I finally beat the Man, final level. How did level. you do that? That's such a stressful game. It was I I don't know. It was just so fun. And then I I remember looking at it and then um uh, and, th- and thinking like this was this was just such a good experience and it was so hard. And then Binding of Isaac came out and I played that and I I was looking at it at the art and I was like this art is terrible. I'm pretty sure I can make art that's this good, <laughs> which of course is is hilariously <laughs> wrong on so many levels. Uh, so that's actually Ed McMillan. Me you should that, probably explain which part was wrong. Uh, I mean, the whole thing. Well, the oh, the yeah. idea that the art was bad, for one. Right. It was actually just creepy. Just gross. before we get some haters screaming at us. Yeah, it was actually to just be creepy clear, and gross. Yeah, to be clear, it's not It's not terrible art. Yeah, not at all. Um, and it's extremely inspired by, uh, like, it has a lot of ties in with Catholicism and stuff, which is interesting when you, when you read into the back history of all the stuff. Yeah. Um, so... So yeah, I mean, I it was funny though because for some reason it was approachable enough where I was like, oh, I could do that. Why not? I could do that. Um, yeah, it's easy. So I think Everybody that one just kind of always will hold a special place for me because I, I honestly think those two games in particular, and that and Ed McMillan as a dude, um, is basically the reason why I ended up doing what what I do and what we do now. So so yeah, that's my favorite one. Actually, though, favorite. I have to retract mine. Was my my choice of Kerbal Space Program. My favorite indie game of all time was World of Warcraft. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean I mean, before it was publicly traded? Yeah, I mean at, at the time that the game came out, uh, Blizzard was a self-funded independent studio. So you know, it's a uh, that's an indie game, right? Right. It's so funny it, to think of them as indies, but yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, indie just means independent. So that's that's mine. That was mine at the time for sure. All right. Well, let's uh, let's hop into a general life question, and this one's from Atrusan. And Atrusan, who's one of our lovely moderators, asks, Have you ever wrote a poem to impress a girl? And if so, tell us the poem and her reaction. <laughs> uh, I'm going to turn this over to you guys. I was going to turn this over to you, Sam. <laughs> well, I've never written a poem voluntarily in my whole life. Uh, what does that mean? You wrote it under duress? Yeah. I, was, I took a creative writing class in high school not knowing that I would be required to write almost exclusively poems for the entire class. Um, it's just not my style, you know? I feel like mm. if you want to say something, just say it and don't be all elusive and weird about it. But that's just me. <laughs> but Sam wrote a wrote a book. I actually poems. there is a book of poems which I don't want to still purchasable. I don't. think it's still, I would look it up right now. I'm pretty sure it's still. <laughs> Wait, tell the name. Tell our, I don't, tell our I don't want to do it. I don't want you to buy it. It's terrible. I wrote it when I was, I wrote it my first year of college. Oh God, it's still little, purchasable. Little 19 year old Sam wrote his poem book called Metaphorgasm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so terrible. I just found it on Amazon. Dude, it has. A, oh, it has, my God. It's got five stars. Yeah. There you go. I think it's your friend, Adam, your friend from college, Michael, who uh, who recommended it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is super terrible. But yeah, I used to I actually did slow, slam poetry in college for fun. Um, I never wrote poems or anything. But then when I got to, to school, for some reason, it just was a thing I was doing. And slam poetry. That's like when you 
you you get up on stage and you like insult you people. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just it's not like a it's not like a rap battle situation. It's like a, oh, okay. I was that's just, what I was thinking. It basically spoken word poetry, right? It's not an Eminem sort of. Say I see. So I I, I I'm, I I'm digging I'm digging this even. a little bit deeper uh, on the location at which it is available for those of you. Who are capable of googling <laughs> and finding things? Do not. No, but here's something I discovered. So. Uh, what? There's two used copies of it being sold. One is being direct shipped from Japan and is going for hundred and fifteen dollars. Hey man, I'm big in Japan. Apparently, <laughs> well, you're big yeah. as an export from Japan would be. How, how many copies have scenario. you sold, Sam? I have no. I honestly, I haven't gotten a check from Amazon. I don't know. Probably none. Be my guess would probably be none. <laughs> Man, so, you had some you had some bangs on there too. Yeah, dude. You're this is this is when the, self self publishing was like just becoming it was like dude, brand yeah, new. It was all the rage for a little while. And so I was like, oh shit, you could just self publish a book and people will buy it. But it's not true, of course. It's the same like, as video everything. games. Same as video games. So so yeah. Uh long story short, a true son, I wrote an entire book full of poems to impress multiple Every girl. Yeah, all Every of them. Girl, in fact. That was the intention. Uh, did I, I guess, but there's the last I part press, is did it work? Uh, did it work? I mean, <laughs> probably not. I don't know. I mean, how do you tell? How do you tell? You know? I don't know, man. This is know. one of those things where we were actually talking about this earlier, where every year you look back on the things that you did earlier and it's just embarrassing as hell. Oh, yeah. You know? dude. I read even like a year after I wrote those because I, I got into the, the Grand Slam my sophomore year, which is a year after this thing came out. It's like the Super where, Bowl of, of it's basically, people yeah, standing it's on so, stage and talking. I feel well, like because there's a bunch of sports terms. <laughs> there's, Potentially. there's five uh, sort of pre-slams, like once a month, leading up to the Grand Slam. And at the Grand Slam, it's the top two people from each of the previous slams get to compete. Wait, is this um, like a national the, thing? or like, No, no, no. This what? is just at WashU. And then if you if you yeah. won, way less impressive top, now. Oh, yeah, way less impressive. But if you're in the top <laughs> three... Then you then they had like a team that actually went to nationals and they did very well actually. Um, but I so like wait I, wait yeah. a minute what? So it's not competitive or no? It is competitive, no, it is. but it's not yeah. a battle. Correct. Okay. Yeah, you so you, you come so with each person stuff. just goes up in succession. Correct. Correct. I see. And okay. I always had a hard time because like my I think I was mainly just people were just entertained by me, which I think was the difference because uh, I didn't write any sad stuff. I always just wrote about like my laundry or getting terrible haircuts. Like that was sort of my bread and butter for poetry as opposed to like everybody else's stuff was like really intense upsetting things and then i would come up there after like four of those deliver something funny People i think it so was just relieved. such a relief yeah i would just get like bonus points for being <laughs> comedic relief essentially so that managed to get me through to the grand slam but no further no further than that mm. so yeah yeah well, well, I think it's, good true for, it's true for the you know the kind of indie games as well right it's you're, you're taken more seriously as an indie the more serious your games are uh yeah right. well you know I mean w within the circle of of indies well yeah, it's kind I of mean, what we were just talking, we talking about, about like this. nobody would consider World of Warcraft an indie game yeah but it completely fits the definition but it's you know it's uh it's a very highly polished commercial product made by a huge team which makes it a little bit doesn't feel indie right yeah yeah I think I think uh, I mean we've we've talked about this a bit before but we don't I don't personally feel like we uh we fit very easily in the sort of indie games space, honestly, um, because we do. Take yeah. I always the, feel like when we independent when part we of it, put, unless uh, it's the sort of indie part. Yeah. I always feel like when we put our game into something like a, like we, we've entered into the IGF, the indie games festival. Um, and I'm, I'm confident that we will never even get nominated into the, into the finals for anything. Um, 
I don't know why. I just I feel like the stuff we're making is just really different than what a lot of people expect out of out of it. Just it kind, of, it kind of feels like we don't fit, I guess. And we had this. This happened at Indie PopCon as well when we went up for the uh, the reboot Indie Awards. Um, it's the same sort of like we're all we're wearing like our butterscotch T-shirts, you know, and we have. Like we're very intense about branding all the time, so everything. Was yeah, we have our logo on everything. In the and so, yeah, I just I don't know. It just I've I've never felt like we totally belong in the uh, in the indie sphere, which is we exist way. in no man's land, somewhere between indie and somewhere between no man's land and no man's sky. Oh God! Do we did, you talk? See, did you see no. what I did there? Do we want to talk about that? <laughs> well, so it is pre-orderable. You could pre-order it now on Steam for sixty dollars. What is there even to say about? Well, let's say for those thing. who don't know what No Man's Sky is, it's No Man's Sky is a game. It is a game. Sure. <laughs> it's coming out for the PlayStation Four and I think the PC. And it their big be. sort of their yeah. big selling point for the game is. That it's this infinite universe that's everything is procedurally generated. Creatures, fish, trees, you know, everything. And you travel from planet to planet exploring. Uh, but none of the gameplay videos seem to really do any kind of justice in terms of demonstrating what the game is actually like to play. Yeah, it shows that it's very beautiful to look at. It looks phenomenal. That I but, believe. But all you ever really see is is the player just walking around. You know, you like you'll swim in water and it's like you discovered a fish and then you just discovered a cave and you discovered this planet and nothing seems to happen as a result of yeah of that. Well, I'm, it, I'm probably wrong. It could be like the biggest I mean it really could be the biggest indie game to like as far as production and, and just general uh, impact to come out in in a long while it could be that but I, and i think it's it's very much hyped up to feel like that and to be that but it could also be like the major disappointment of the indie scene well i mean it's hard to live up to that level of yeah hype. i know i, I kind of feel bad for him because it's like even if the game's really good i mean like really good's not going to cut it for the amount of hype honestly that's behind this thing it's got to be like a just gonna have to be knockout stellar. it is very hyped yeah so I, I mean i really hope it does well but it's it is a little weird Looking at the gameplay videos where there doesn't <laughs> seem to be much gameplay going on. But there is video. So there is video. They do have they got half they got half of it. Well speaking of let's let's go on the uh on the, the gaming questions route. Uh, this is one from Frog Ninja, who asks, uh, which game genres do you like and which do you not? Just to kind of carry on the, the gaming theme here. Yeah, to me this is an interesting one because people do so strongly I identify as the wrong word, but just kind of choose a genre and then they don't stray from it. I mean, this is like true for people in just about any category of thing, right? Like they tend to, once they find a kind of food they like, that's what they eat. Once they find a certain kind of movie, that's what they watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same with games. Um, so people know, need I, to be more open-minded. Damn it. They do. I, I used to, I used to exclusively play first person shooter games, not necessarily, Actually, usually not uh, the multiplayer, you know, killing each other oriented ones, but more things like Half-Life and that sort of thing. And uh, but I also really liked the multiplayer ones. But but that was used to be I used to consider myself a first person shooter player. And right, right. then at some point I just started trying other stuff. And now actually first person shooters are one of the rarest games that I play. Mm. But that's not because I'm actively trying not to play them. It's because as a genre, that's one of the most boring genres <laughs> there is because it's every game is effectively the same. Uh, Your means of solving any problem is to shoot is it. Is to shoot it. And so, <laughs> so they're, they're super fun because of the, of the skill component. But in terms of, in terms of 
first person shooters as a genre really it's kind of all one kind of game and I so feel like if you really want a good high skill first person shooter play some tribes oh absolutely tribes is amazing and, and it's got some things it's doing differently too right that that actually make it interesting yeah you can fly but with, you, uh, with all these other genres, though, there's just so much more interesting room to explore for kinds of stuff that you can experience as a gamer. Uh, so, so yeah, so to me, it's a huge, it's just a mistake, period, to decide that you like or don't like a genre and then not play games accordingly. Because the fact is that almost, almost any game that is considered to sort of define a genre of, of any kind is going to be a worthwhile experience. Yeah, well, this, is, this goes oh, back yeah. to some of the stuff we've talked about before, just in general with game dev, which is that there is an underlying structure to all games, which is the loop structure. And so the reality is that if you if you just enjoy games, if you enjoy like a type of game in general, um, it's also very possible that like the attraction mechanism in there, part of it is based on the fact that it is a game and that it shares those underlying sort of universal qualities with other games, right? So we got the, we actually got this comment a lot from people who played Crashlands where they're like, yeah, you know, I, I really don't enjoy survival games. I don't enjoy crafting games, but this game was right up my alley somehow, right? And I think in reality, it might just be because it's it's a game that that pulls on the loop structure really well. So if you if you have any well designed game, to, no matter the genre, it would probably be the case that you would enjoy it. I guess. Yeah, the I think it's answer. Yeah, because I, I think it's the case that there's there's nothing about a crafting game that should make it just not fun all of a sudden, right? Like just because you are harvesting items and crafting stuff out of them, uh, that alone shouldn't be enough to make a game boring all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it really just comes down to what the game is is doing. For me personally, I I do actually have a lot of trouble with puzzle games. Um, maybe it's because the the loop concept is a lot less present in puzzle mm-hmm. games. Um, I, I don't know, but for me, uh, like, so I tried to play, I played Thomas was alone a while back and I just couldn't get into it. And the same with the Talos principle. Um, yeah, a, a number of these, these kinds of puzzle games. And for some reason, maybe it's because it's so binary, like either you understand yeah, I think that's, a, I think that's a lot yeah. of it. Well, yeah, like you can't you can't make incremental progress on solving a puzzle. Either you get the solution or you don't. If you don't, then you're stuck. And if you do, then there's that kind of like then you have to struggle do the work of, of actually enacting it. it. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it, it doesn't feel like you're you're making meaningful progress when you're just sort of like enacting the thing that you've already figured out five minutes ago and you're just struggling to actually like, you know, make it happen or something. Um, yeah. And, and I think one of the only puzzle games that I've really, really loved was the uh, the portal games. Yeah. And that oh, was yeah. probably because there was a lot of really fun physics stuff baked into there with, you know, flying through walls and whatnot. And and also all the the narrative and the jokes and the humor and everything. Yeah, yeah I think without the without the story that went along with it, I bet it would have been a much less awesome game. And I think another thing to 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 realize is that it was such a new kind of thing that the novelty of the experience itself Oh yeah. Was yeah, sufficient to drive that game. Yeah, I mean there weren't any other first person puzzle games based on physics, if if I been recalling around that around that time. Or certainly not homemade ones. Yeah. So I think there there's there's always that. And I think it also kind of I mean for me, it also just depends on the mood I'm in, right? Which is that depending on the mood I'm in, there's certain genres of game that I that I will enjoy way more than than other times. So for example, Diablo as like a sort of hack and slash clicker which it actually is basically a clicker, um, though in a very elaborate one. Yes, uh, it is. Very I elaborate. love, if I'm just, if it's like a Saturday afternoon and I feel like not thinking, I love playing Diablo. Diablo is like my bread and butter 
game that is, <laughs> you know, I know it'll always be there for him. It's like my best friend from from childhood. You know, we could just go. That's kind of where Rocket League has has gotten for me. Right. It's like a quick thing to pick up and play. You know. And again, I'm not into sports games normally. Right, but Rocket but League is just really good. Right? It's just really good. <laughs> so, so if if there's that, but if I'm you know if I have buddies around or if Adam and Seth are around or or my uh, friend who lives across the hall, I'll play some multiplayer games with them. And usually, I don't actually care what game it is. And we actually have this. We tend to have this goofy sort of uh, ritual where one of us will say during the day, "Games tonight," and then a few minutes later, everybody will be like, "Yes," and then it'll be like, "Which one?" And then there's another long pause, and everyone's like, "I don't really care." Like the point isn't. Which game? It's mainly about yeah. You use the game as a social mediator, right? So I will say though, Minecraft does a great job of uh, being a like a chilled out game to just spend a lot of time in with friends and stuff. Oh, I yeah. definitely understand why Minecraft uh, got to be so popular through the the multiplayer aspect of things. Yeah. It's fun. yeah. Well, and then you're also you're working on a project together, which is always yeah. You're really building satisfying. Stuff. Yeah, and we and no matter how pointless a project is, like when we played it a few weekends ago. We just built a tower all the way to the top of the world because we can, and then turn it into a diving board because it happened to be over water. Because well, we yay. Can, you know, yeah, and uh, and then all of a sudden that was done, and we were like, shit, we just spent three hours doing that for some reason, <laughs> right? But it didn't matter. We all had a blast doing that. Well, that's. I mean, it's important to remember, and this kind of this kind of sucks to think about because you know we make games, but uh, nothing you do in a game matters. <laughs> It's true in, in any game, um, no matter no matter what. So it really is just about the people you're playing with. Well, frankly. and the experience that you take away from it. Yeah. Right, right. That's what can matter at the end of the day. In the yeah, real but I, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't uh, pull it doesn't pull anything out into the real world other than you know like the emotional experience that you mm-hmm. took from it. So right. our next yeah. question is a dev question from Nernath Arnediad. Which is a great. Is that how you, little tough to pronounce? Is that how you that's, say that's that? That's my go at it. I don't. That's my go. That's pretty good. Uh, he, he, she, I don't know what flavor asks, do you all think having graduated completely outside design and computer science courses had a positive or negative outcome in your game dev or studio running? So for those who aren't in the know, uh, I graduated with a psychology degree and no art background and sort of minimal web programming experience. And Seth was, uh, doing a JD MBA and then dropped out to do web stuff and, and or, uh, game programming and hadn't well, had any... Oh. Yeah, prior to that I was uh, finance and economics background. Right. And Adam is is a is a full-fledged PhD in molecular biology. So, uh what do you guys think? Do you think do you think those other sort of Hell modes yeah. of thinking helped or have hurt? Well, we of course, yeah. unfortunately we can't do the experiment to actually If only we could split <laughs> well, I think Yeah, but but the question, you know, really just comes down to do you feel like you pull from the experiences that you've had? not being a game developer. But wouldn't that be true even if you were trained as a game? Like, you would pull on those experiences so they'd be different. I mean, you'll pull on whatever experiences you have. Yeah, but but the way I see it is, like, if you were to go to school for game design, um, then you would be learning about everything purely in the context of game design. Well, and most importantly, you'd be learning about what other people think about what game design is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and That's I, been a big uh, thing for, for us my, is actually not having to like actually having to forge that path, you know, as a unit. Yeah. So I was like making up all this shit as we go has been, I think very, very helpful for us actually. And, and uh, I mean, early on Seth, you and I got bit by this when we made Tal fight because we read, we read a ton of Gama Sutra articles. And at the time everyone's really freaking about out about free to play stuff. And there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, I don't know, angst in the air about free to play in general. And so we didn't make a free game for our first one. And that was a terrible idea. Like a truly 
Yeah, you know, it was bad. Studio destroying sort of terrible idea. Uh, if we had been a little more poor with our time on that. So, so I think it's actually been really helpful to not know what the hell we're doing, if that makes sense. It allows you to take a step back and look what everybody else is doing and actually ask, does this make sense? But if if it's true in any field, right? If, if you go through the field in the, the standard way, then what you're taught is how things are supposed to be. And this was true for me going through my science career as well, mm-hmm. is all the way up until the very end, I was being taught how things were supposed to be. And at some point... There are all these points where I was confused because I was like, I don't feel like this makes any sense, but everybody says this is how it is, right? <laughs> and and I was just a lowly student, so I just figured there was You're something like, I, I must was not missing. know enough yet. I yeah, know. and I mean, the fact is it took me halfway through a PhD to realize that there were a lot of things that were just seriously wrong with how people were doing stuff. And, and a lot of the reason I was even able to do that was because of how far I deviated from the, the normal path through molecular biology, which was my my degree. Because I did, I spent about half of my time doing computer programming and making little robotic programs to analyze my data and stuff. And as a consequence, I was able to think about problems very differently than everybody else was. So I think I, it, it's universally true, I think, that the the more diverse your experience is, so the more ways you can approach a problem, the better off you are. Yeah, it's like yeah, putting definitely. putting your eggs in different baskets, right? You're going to have a better, uh, more more angles to observe things from and, and not necessarily get stuck on one particular way. Yeah, and if you want to think about it from a metaphorical context, perhaps even a metaphorgasmical context, <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's that saying of when you're when you're a hammer, every problem looks like a nail, right? Well, if you aren't just a hammer, then you might actually solve the problem. What if more you're one of those sweet like Swiss Army knife tools? But yeah, if you're a if you're a multi tool, yeah, then your problem is you know. You, you will probably solve it more reliably because if it's a screw and not a nail and you just go smashing it into the wall, <laughs> then just, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, the lesson from this podcast, don't be a tool, be a multi-tool. That's right. Yeah, I, I definitely pull from my economics background when it comes to game balance, for sure. Mm-hmm. So And your and your finance, your spreadsheets. Sets makes shitloads of spreadsheets. You're still like That's, it's actually the case, though, that, that what I learned about about growth models and stuff in finance and making projections and figuring out how, you know, all these different numbers work together. I mean, that, I, I apply that stuff daily to, to the design of our games. So yeah, I mean, it's, I can, it was super helpful. Well, this is another good, good question. This comes from uh, pixel and bracket on the, along the dev line again, which is we know game maker is your weapon of choice, which it is for making 2d games, but can you give aspiring developers a little more insight onto why it is that you chose game maker over something like unity or anything else. So I think this kind of fits in with what we just talked about as far as not knowing what the hell we're doing. Um, so Seth, yeah. Seth, you in particular, <laughs> do you want to speak on why it is that we sort of stick with Game Maker? Well, I think two two reasons, one of which is not a good reason, uh, and that is it's what we started with. And, yeah, which is typically and, <laughs> what most people use is the thing they started with. Yeah, and the reason that we started with Game Maker is because I learned to program in Game Maker back in 2010, and I just got really good at using it. So uh, it's the development environment that I'm the most comfortable in. And there's a, a really large amount of speed that comes with mastering uh, a development environment like that. So if you've been using Unity for like four years um, and you switch to GameMaker, GameMaker is going to be way slower for you at first. And probably for like a, a year or two uh, until you really get the hang of it. But 
so, I mean, that's that's the first reason. Dumb reason, but, you know, whatever. The other reason is we have tried things like Unity. And to be honest, uh, Game Maker is just the best when it comes to 2D. It yeah. has so many amazing features for doing pixel perfect uh, work on on UIs and stuff like that. And uh, I, don't well, know, I mean, it's just... design. It's its whole purpose. And to me, this is the where this really is a question of is is using the right tool for the job. Like that. Once that, again, that's what it is, right? Be it's a like, multi tool. Yeah. Yeah. Be a multi tool. So if you're if you know Unity and you want to make a 2D game because 2D games can be made faster generally, uh, which is a good that's a good position to take as a new up and coming developer because you're better off making a whole bunch of games that all fail and then finally making one that does work than spending all your time on one because you can you know do it a lot faster when it's in 2D. Yeah. But if you're going to use a 3D engine like Unity to make a 2D game, you're just what do you using, do it? You're just using the wrong tool. And, and what I think do you it, do it? I think that <laughs> Unity it's called Unity 3D for God's sake. Uh, but That's I think true Unity is. has been adding a lot of 2D specific features in the past like 6 months. I remember looking at their at their dev pipeline and and they had all these milestones for adding all these 2D features. So it may be the case now. No, it's not. Well, is I mean, it's still it, not the case. No, no, no. Well, yeah. it is the, it is the case that they they do their 2D toolkit is very is very sophisticated now for sure but the yeah, problem except is except you still need to download lots of plugins including yeah. one called 2d toolkit <laughs> right to, yeah, to it's, get it's up, not up the to right the tool for the job yeah. uh that, i mean to me that's that's the most important part of the story the fact is there are other 2d environments though mm-hmm. you know aside from game maker game maker is the one that we use like but like i said because that's one we we happen to use and and importantly it's really accessible for people who don't know how to program which Although, is, of course, huge in, in all fairness, from from what I've seen from every other one out there, uh, they nothing comes close to being as capable as as Game Maker. Well, I mean, maybe, but I, I mean, the thing is, like, you haven't used any other ones, so I don't, well, I don't yeah, know how you would know I, that. From from what I've seen, like, I've I've worked with a lot of other developers who are making games and other, other things, some of which are very good programmers, and the things that they really have a lot of struggles doing in those other environments game maker just does with a yeah but are they code. but aren't they are they using weird like open source environments and stuff or actual no there's well stuff? some of them are open source there's like hacks of flixel then there's things like co cocos uh cocos 2d that's yeah. a that's mac only right mm-hmm. yeah there's game salad um which is also super limited relative to yeah but none, none of those are maker. designed to be like hacks of flixels for hackers basically right yeah, and and these other ones are not even intended to be full featured development platforms. So, but but I mean, there definitely are some full featured. That's the thing; like they're branded that way. So, so Game Salad, for example, if you go to their website, they they go on and on about how you can make professional quality games and deploy it to all these different platforms and stuff. Um, so, I mean, a lot of them pose as being professional development right. tools, but they just don't. Well, there's there is an interesting up. note here though, which is that so when we started making stuff in Game Maker, Seth, if you recall, whenever we told people we we're using Game Maker instead of Unity, they were like, "Oh, why are you doing that? No good games have been made in Game Maker. Like, point to point to a good game that's been made yep. in Game Game Maker." Um, as if that was highly you know relevant evidence based on the tool, just because people hadn't been able to quite use it super well. And I think within like six months of us starting, then like Ridiculous Fishing came out. I believe made a game maker. Yeah, Vlambeer um, does game maker for all their stuff. Yeah, all of Vlambeer's stuff really started picking up. And so suddenly people were like, oh, game maker seems like it might be an okay. And, <laughs> and then the sort of scale of them kept, I mean, Hyper Light Drifter has made it. Like all these games started coming out that were these big Yeah. You know, well, here's the thing. There are amazing games that have been made with damn near anything. Yep. Yeah, because it's, it's about not, the developer. It's not about the... It's about the developer, yeah. but 
you should make your life as easy as possible yeah. and not nice. use not use a tool that's going to work against you the whole time. So that's that's why I put my that's why I put my two cents into the game maker hat for All sure. Right. Uh, next question comes from Racing for the Finish, who asks: Without forethought or planning, go to the website www.conversationstarters.com/generator.php uh, and click the generate another random topic four times, and then answer that fourth question. Uh, so Seth actually did this and put it in here. And the question now, was... Now, I will say the fourth question was super lame, so I clicked it again. <laughs> so this is actually the fifth question. This is the we, fifth question. We, we went the extra mile. Uh, what is the first thing that you think of in the morning? Adam, go. I think, oh God, waking up is the worst. I need coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, go. Um, the first thing I think of... Mm-hmm. I mean, every single morning, the first thing I think of is sleeping more, for sure. I'm pretty much enraged. I slapped that snooze. I slapped that motherfucking snooze button so hard, <laughs> so many times. I think I'm. I'm usually just so genuinely agitated in the morning that I don't think of much. I just feel a lot of rage. I think that's. I don't think I feel. That's my yeah. morning routine. <laughs> yeah. The the worst shit is like if you if you are within you know 15 minutes of waking up or something. And you're trying to, I don't know, like get something out of the fridge or whatever. And for whatever reason, something is in your way. Like, oh, yeah. like I was trying to get the milk out of the fridge and there was a Tupperware in front of it. It was oh, like, I was, <laughs> I was super confused because somehow I interpreted when you said within 15 minutes of waking up, I thought you meant before waking up, but I was like, no, no, what are you <laughs> that would be even crazier in the fridge. But yeah. Something about. And I think, Sam, you were talking the other day about how, like, when you the, the hormone that that wakes you up. Yeah, is it's, it's cortisol, cortisol, which is stress. stress, stress hormone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you actually have a flood of this and everything, even like little things just can really agitate you. And this doesn't affect everybody the same way. But there's this idea of people being like a morning person versus not being a morning person. And I think a lot of that comes down to just how much of this sort of floods your brain. Well, I think because I like I'm just not I do not have a good time in the morning generally for the first time <laughs> or so. And what's well, funny because I think if I if I actually wake up if I wake up completely by myself, as in like I just woke up, no alarm, no fiance kicking me on accident when she's getting out of bed, none of that stuff. Um, I actually feel fine. And I think it's if I if I'm able if my body's able to slowly wake up itself, then I'm okay. But if it's if it is woken up, if it's pushed upon you, right, then I'm just like enraged for about forty five minutes. Which actually yeah. leads to the next question. Uh, in an interesting way, speaking of uh, fiancés, which is yeah. Pixel and Bracket asks as a general life question: Happy wife, happy life. Yeah. Hmm. Well, hmm. what do you think, Sam? Uh, I mean, I think that's that's half of it. I guess is how I would put it. Um, I know this is a general saying about. I feel like it's just the wrong question. It's well, it's it's weird. Adam, here, you, you you take it for a moment. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, like, yeah, of course, the people who are around you, the happier you are, the easier it is for you to navigate your social life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when, but as a, and this is just for any kind of spouse or significant other situation, um, it's not your responsibility to make that other person happy, right? You're supposed to be supportive and help them be happy, but it's not your responsibility. And if there's some so people down would on think you that, that it causes case, that, that your happiness is dependent on their mood, then that's not a good relationship to be in. Or if their happiness is dependent on you. Yeah, either way. Either way, it's 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 no it's no good. I think the general rule should be that if 
if you are with someone and it's easy for you to both be happy together in general and like when nothing's going on, then that's that's good and you should carry on. But if it's for some reason difficult to be with a person when that's there's not really person. anything going on, you know, if it's like a Tuesday on a normal week and it's difficult, just just because, being there, <laughs> uh, you know, we need to re-examine some stuff. Um, I remember I was talking to uh, one of my my mentor's wife, actually, like outside of I came out of a long, a long day of of uh, work with my mentor. His wife was outside. And at the time I was going through a pretty rough relationship. And I remember uh, she was with her her child. And he, during this entire conversation, had found like a puddle of paint on the ground and was just slowly painting himself. So envision this. There's <laughs> there's like a four-year-old who's just slowly painting his entire body with white paint as I'm having this extremely intense discussion <laughs> with my mentor's wife about, about this idea. And she said, this is when I was in college, she said, you know, if, if you're in college and you're in a relationship and it's hard... She's like, nothing, you have nothing going on right now. There's nothing actually stressful going on. Yeah, your life is never going to be easier than it is. <laughs> exactly. That and so that's exactly what she said. She said, if you can't do it, if you can't do it and be happy when your life is the easiest it's ever going to be, it's only going to get worse from here. Because in her in her mind, as a fully grown adult woman with children, mm-hmm. uh, the difference between you as a college student and the kid painting his whole body white was basically zero. Yeah. <laughs> it's very accurate. Very accurate. So yeah, I guess that's our that's our long winded answer to happy wife, happy life question. You shouldn't yeah, have to just, make people happy. Well, no, but I feel like this is always asked with in a, in a more nefarious context too. You know, as if like I don't know something about this question just it just rubs me the wrong. Well, because it has it has a tinge of like emotional abuse to it, right? Yeah. Which is like, if you don't do a good enough job making your significant other happy, they're gonna make they you have full happy. exactly they have full lease to just ruin you, yeah. which is untrue. No, it's not an adversarial relationship. When you get married, you're a fucking team. Yeah, yeah, man, you're a team. You whooping the shit out of life's obstacles together. I think I'm going to segue this into the next question, which is actually about Crashlands mm. and has to do with, with a lover as well. And this is from Alan Falcon. <laughs> was that, was that the, the segue? Because that wasn't. That was a segue, uh, which is one of the best Crashlands questions I think we've gotten, which is a, he says, the Crashlands tooltips reference you, in quotes, having been an Olympic runner, having an ex-spouse, and having had a demon lover, among other things. Are these canon flux biographical details? <laughs> yeah. I right, think actually, so. yeah. Are they talking to the player or are they talking about no, flux? It's, uh, They're talking about flux. Yeah, it's from the all the tooltips are written from the perspective of flux. So, so this from, actually, wait, from her from her perspective or about flux, I think. Or a because obviously they're not written from her perspective. Well, she wouldn't probably, call yeah, she wouldn't call herself you. That doesn't make any it's sense. It's probably juice box talking. It's probably juice box recording on flux's behalf. Right. So yeah, because it also says mm. things like, you know, if you like a yellow gem, if you hold it up to your eye, you immediately become self-conscious, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. So so they're all about you as Flux interacting with these items and examining. So, them. so basically by by Seth digging into his weird subconscious, oftentimes somewhat drunk at the ends of evenings, right? These tooltips. He effectively created. I created Flux's backstory. Flux's backstory and subconscious thoughts yeah. and way of of being. I'm going to need yes. to read through these and make up yeah. some new lore. I just I hadn't there's thought some, about it like that. But just rich. bear in mind that there's about 980 of them, and probably <laughs> probably some are contradictory in this kind of context. But that's fine. 
Oh, no, I no. Mean, Pe- people are They're very consistent. Okay. He was aware of all the other ones while he was writing and he gave it one on it. That's impressive. It. You know how most people's <laughs> working memory can only hold five to seven things at a time? Mine yeah. holds 973. <laughs> we better not put any more things in there. No, don't. Before yeah, it hit its peak. I'm out of RAM. Uh, the next question is from Batman's Puzzle, which I'm curious. How does he remember how many Zs? Yeah, I, was, I <laughs> was wondering exactly that. Six Zs. Six uh, Zs. Maybe that's how. Six Zs. For some reason, that just feels good. Six it does Zs. feel good. <laughs> <laughs> if you eat six apples and five pizzas, when's the Crashlands t-shirt coming out? Uh, well, if you do all that at once, never, because we'll die from that. That's <laughs> true. But the uh, new Crashlands t-shirts are actually coming down the pipe. We got uh, the line work drawing in yesterday, I think. And it's, it's looking pretty cool. super cool. It's very, very different. So we chose this guy because he has he has his own sort of style. And it's very cartoony and occasionally kind of grotesque. And I saw his work, and I was I was pretty immediately interested in having him uh, do the T-shirt. And we'll we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how you guys like it. I think it's a uh, it's a bit nutty. So yeah, it's 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 going to be just a totally different art style than. I mean, it's very obviously without a doubt Crashlands. Like oh yeah, the characters. It's obviously the characters, obvious creatures, and so on. But but the art style is just such a different direction that yeah, yeah. it's actually very similar to our movie poster. In terms well, it's, of yeah, it's based composition on the movie and stuff. Yeah, it's based yeah. on that. It would but, actually be yeah. interesting if we, and I, and I know I, I think we can't because of the number of colors that would be required, but if we were actually to sell the movie poster t-shirt and this one that we're making just to see what people's preference would be. Yeah, yeah their preference right. would be the the line one because, yeah, the movie poster one would cost like $1,000. <laughs> <laughs> so it has every color. Yeah, but yeah. I think universe. Uh, I mean, it's it's turned out it's really cool. It is really really cool. Um, and like I think all of us because this is the first time we've worked with this new artist, and, and it's also it's always just interesting seeing people's sort of you know they they take the stuff you've made and they internalize it and then spit it back out in their own sort of way. And I mean, this happened with Eric, who's done all of all of our all the paintings, and we're used to him doing it now. Um, where I mean, I remember the first time we sent him the Tal Fight stuff. We sent him all of the vector art for Tal Fight Two, and then he sent back uh, like three three thumbnail sketches of what he thought it could it could look like. And we were like, "Oh, that's so cool!" And we we're just so blown away that someone could convert it essentially into you know masterwork paintings like he does. That it was just so cool. I was like, now we've been through that once. We're getting it with a, a whole different sort of art style. And it's just really interesting. Track where all of us were like, "Whoa, this is so neat." Very different. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely jarring. Yeah, it like it's clearly it's an amazing work of art. Uh, but yeah, it's so different than what we are accustomed to now over the past three years. That I mean, I'm I'm having to kind of I love it, but I'm also having to be like, okay, it's still Crashlands. It's still a, <laughs> it's still a butterscotch. Well, yeah, thing, I mean, you know? it's, it's actually got like a lot of kind of grit and almost like real violence feel to it you know? like, <laughs> it feels yeah. it feels a lot more real and a lot less childlike yeah. than a lot of no, it's, the, it's gonna be it'll be interesting to see yeah so the, those will be uh not super sure on when exactly but we'll be we'll be having those up for sale as well as just the usual uh simple butterscotch shenanigans t-shirts and hoodies uh at the same time so i'm able to do we gotta work some stuff out but either end of march or early april is probably when we'll be starting that depending on when all this stuff gets wrapped up so don't hold your breath but also, but you don't do save your money. Yeah, the t-shirts are I think like twenty three or twenty four bucks, twenty four bucks, um, and the hoodies are like thirty six bucks. Are we gonna so. do the butterscotch ones at the same time? Yep, yep. Yeah. We'll do all at once. We should probably just and if you're do if those. you're international, then save a little bit extra or for a the lot shipping. extra. Yeah, yeah, like double. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Uh, next question comes from Frog Ninja again, and it is, what are your opinions on multiplayer achievements considering the threat of the game's player base dying? So this is a very... This is a Very question. specific question. I'm gonna need someone to rephrase this so, so I can understand what's happening. Okay, so I have basically two interpretations of this. Okay, so we'll have to we'll have to pick one or just or go with both. So one is, uh, does it matter if people get achievements in your game because they're all gonna die anyways? That's one one way to as in think like about they're it. gonna die in their own lives eventually. Yeah, the, the player base is dying. What's the point of doing anything? It, really, I guess exactly. it does literally say dying in there, doesn't it? Exactly. The other interpretation would be <laughs> <laughs> would be uh, if you have a, a game that is entirely multiplayer driven, then some of the achievements in that game will become impossible to get over time because of the fact that if you don't have anybody to play with or against, you cannot acquire uh, those achievements. Okay, so this is a, right. this is about games being able to die in a really. That's really what it's about. Yeah, right? but but if, but interestingly, viewed from the perspective of achievements being something that matter outside the context of the game. Yeah, to me, that's the interesting part because I'm like, achievements are the least achievements consequential are, part of this whole problem of a of a game's player right, base dying. Right. Because I the way I see it is, achievements are social things. It's like a social. It's like a trophy yeah. saying that you did something, and it only and a trophy only matters if other people are also interested in that thing. Like. If I had a trophy on my desk for like dog ball, everybody would be like, the fuck is that? I don't even know. Although it sounds cares. really interesting. It, it sounds close it, to dodgeball. It would be pretty fun. Dodgeball? But, because, but Doge because ball. of the fact that nobody else plays dog ball and nobody knows what I'm talking about, then that trophy might as well just be a paperweight because it doesn't bear any cultural significance. That's true. So achievements are the same way. So, uh, yeah. Why? Well, I, I mean, I think, I think the greater question... The, qu the question in here that I'd like to focus on is just how is it and how strange is it that a game, that a creative work can actually die? Like games can actually die, right? We've seen multiplayer this, games. Yeah, multiplayer games. Games that are purely multiplayer experiences. We've seen this with, uh, there's like a Star Trek one that got sunsetted a while ago. Uh, a couple of Star Wars ones now. A bunch of mobile games. Tons Wild of mobile Star. games, yeah. Got Wildstar. I mean, Wildstar hasn't died yet, but I mean... You know, um, well, it did die, and then they resurrected it. Oh, right, right, yeah. It, like, so, it was it was bad enough that I I tried to play it during like right before it went free, and there were only two servers left. And on the server that I was playing on, I didn't see or hear from a single other player in six hours. Oh my god! Oh, it was just like a, it was just the world was completely empty. Creepy. Was it? Did they change the genre label to like a QMO? like a quietly multiplayer online experience. Well, the thing is, there was there was no, like I would go to the auction house to, you know, buy or sell stuff. There's nothing, like it was, the server was empty, just completely. Yeah. Well, I think that's super interesting because as a, as a, as a facet of a piece of media, right? I mean, like books don't die, right? Unless you somehow manage to burn all of them, which in this case won't even work anymore because there's digital stuff going on. Um, like how, how, Odd is it that games as a medium are one of the few mediums where the thing that you made can actually it's, it can cease die. to it be. Cease to be. Yeah, it's super weird. Super. Well, weird. it's but it's also kind of a it's kind of a magical thing because I, mean, I know like back in my you know WoW addict days, uh, even though I didn't have much insight or understanding about a lot of things, I did have a really odd feeling throughout that time. So this was like back when the game first came out. But I had this kind of persistent feeling throughout that time that I was taking part in something 
really special that I would never get the opportunity to to be a part of again. It's kind of like life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like experiences come and go like that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, yeah. Well, it's like, uh, it's like high school or something, right? Where there's like all this shit, like your, your whole life is impacted by these four years of time. And there's just, there's you no can't way it. you can't go you back can't to get any piece of that. Yeah. It's just, it's just now a piece of, of, of your history. I, yeah, I, I have to agree. I think it's actually very cool that, that that could be a thing that happens. I think the sad part though, is that unlike things like high school, right. Which basically just has, there's like, suddenly you're on the other side of it and you move on to the next thing. When it comes to something like a game, it's actually as if it dies because it's not just that the game is doing great and everyone's in it and they're having a blast. And then all of a sudden they all graduate. You graduate. (laughs) Right. Instead, fewer and fewer of of people play it. It becomes, you know, the last people in there are the people who love it the most. This is interesting. And then it dies like around them. Okay. There are some games that are made to die. Like there, there are a few games out there that oh, like the made, <laughs> yeah, that have been made in such a way that they are supposed to sort of self-destruct at a certain point. What if, what if you made a game that was a really, really good game, but it was known from the beginning that at a certain date in the future, it was over. Yeah. Right. So like, so, so if you, instead of, it's kind of like, it's like pulling the plug, you know, where mm-hmm. instead of letting it just be in pain and suffer <laughs> through right. all these years and just drag along and everybody playing it is miserable and blah, blah, blah. Just, just cut it. Just turn off the life support and let it, that would probably be better. I think it would be. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up this episode of coffee with butterscotch on that strange philosophical note. Einstein. <laughs> sort, of, sort of dark. Sort of dark. It so was dark. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the new format, do let us know at be Shenanity on Twitter. We're going to be doing more of these questions. So if you have more questions and you want to get them answered for the next week's podcast, they do get wiped out and refreshed. So go ahead and ask them. You'll be at the top of the pile for next week. And you can ask them at podcast, podcast.bscotch.net. And you can also head over to the forums to chat with and harass other members of the community. And if your question got deleted this time, you can just ask it again. See if anybody else loves it more. Yeah, maybe maybe there won't be better questions. That's right. Yeah, maybe. All right, thanks so a bunch for your new time. week. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.